0: A different episode today. We're, we're flipping the way we think about the buying journey. And this week is all about thinking about selling the way people buy. And it sounds a little bit obvious, right? Sell the way you buy. But in a lot of cases, f- for some reason, sales processes are set up in a process that we need to take people through to arrive at a point which we need from a, from a sales perspective. And I think what's going to be pretty cool about this, we're actually going to think about this a little bit differently and really think about, well, how do our buyers actually buy and what do we need to do to help them through that journey? Now, you might have noticed as a listener, as a long-time listener of our show, or if you're a new listener to our show, welcome. Pumped that you have decided to join us this week and we hope you take away some content to help you be the very best you can be. And if you are a long-time listener, thank you for all your support and you would have noticed we've missed a couple of weeks. I've been incredibly I'm not going to say busy because I think that's that's a cop out saying we're busy because I think we're all busy. I've just had a lot of conflicting priorities and distractions with a lot of client projects and I've got a whole bank of incredible episodes ready to launch. So watch out over the next few weeks. We've got some cracking guests coming on talking about different topics that will absolutely help you be the very best sales professional you can be. So, but before we jump into today's topic and before we have this week's guest, David Prima, join us. He's the founder of Cerebral Selling. So, really brings a different level of thinking to the sales process, a different level of thinking to the sales equation. But before we jump into this awesome topic, you know, I just want to share a couple of things that I've been learning of late around around the buying journey and, and why it's important for us to really help our clients and educate them and make sense of things. Because in, in today's world, right, information, we, we don't lack information. There is an incredible amount of information available to us. And I think from a buying perspective, buyers can kind of get overwhelmed with the amount of information that they've been engaging with. And this is a topic I spoke to about with the author of The Challenger Sale, Brent Adamson. Incredible topic, incredible author. It's an incredible episode. If you haven't checked it out, go check it out because it's an awesome episode. And he talks a lot about making sense for buyers. But this is just something that I've again I've learned through a recent experience where I had a buyer and and had a prospect, and the prospect was so gun ho to move, to move forward. And they were like, look, send me a proposal. I need a proposal. I'm evaluating some other providers and I just need something, I need to share it with my CEO, my chief marketing officer, and this will help us move forward. I'm like, okay, cool. But because the buyer was, and, and my prospect was so keen to move forward, I was actually a little bit concerned that I lacked enough information to put together a really, a really strong proposal that would put me in a position of winning, but more so, not even about put me in that position of winning, but would help the buyer really understand, well, what is it the problem they're trying to solve and, and what would be the appropriate scope to help them get there, right? And so I actually reframed moving forward with the proposal. And what I did do was say, hey, look, completely understand the urgency you have around X problem and, and the fact that you have a pipeline gap and you need to really fill that pipeline gap, et cetera. But, you know, in order for me to help you and and put the right proposal in place, I actually need to get a better understanding of the scope of work. Otherwise, I'm concerned that. I, I won't put something in place that will meet your needs. And you know what was awesome? She actually accepted that and said, all right, that's a great idea. Let's have a bit, bit of a further chat. And what actually came out of the conversation when we're having the scoping exercise is there was not enough clarity around the problem. Like There was an absolute focus that there was a massive gap and that was the gap. But because they were going so fast in trying to find a provider to help them, they hadn't got very clear on the exact root cause and some of the issues, the underlining issues that was causing that problem. And that came out of the scoping process. Now, I'm really happy to to say that we were selected as the partner to help them with this particular project. But if, again, upon reflection, if I hadn't sort of stopped and gone, you know, hey, we need to check X, I would have allowed the momentum and you know the, the thrill of going. Yes, this is we're moving forward, we're moving fast, and potentially I would have got to a point where they might not have made any decision. And this was interesting because when I spoke to them post that selection and post that decision, I actually asked some questions about how did they find the experience. And what they did say was. They did the same with other providers and other providers just went back with a proposal. And the fact that we'd taken the time to really help understand the scope and it actually gave them clarity and it actually helped them understand further about some of the challenges. It was the differentiator in the process. So this is something I want you to think about, right? And, you know, there is a lot of conflicting information out there. And I feel your pain. Yeah. I feel your pain that there's all these gurus and there's this incredible thought leaders out there talking about why you, you know, meet the buyer at when they're out in the journey, but in in some of the complex sales that we deliver and the complex solutions that we put forward sometimes we ha- actually have to just slow it down and take a step back because otherwise if we're not careful we might be proposing something that's completely different to what we need to be proposing for right we might not be actually addressing the right problem and 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 therefore putting the right proposal in place This podcast is brought to you by the Create Pipeline program from SalesIQ Global. This program will equip you with the skills, tools, and confidence to run an outbound strategy so you can generate more qualified opportunities and close more deals. Hear what Ellis from DocuSign has been able to achieve since joining the program and our incredible community. So my name's Ellis, and I work at DocuSign as an EBR. And the, the reason I started Sales IQ was because... I really needed that that guidance and that training to make sure that the outreach that I was doing was hitting the nail on the head. So I was lucky enough to, to start the program early on in, in this role. And since then I've been pretty successful and last quarter I finished on 185%. So I've seen some huge results by adopting the principles. Our next cohort is starting soon. So to learn more, go to www.salesiqglobal.com. Or if you have a team of sellers, talk to us about our in-house offering. Control your pipeline, control your destiny with Sales IQ. So that's just something to to give some thought as we lead into today's episode with, with David. Because again, this is all about just changing the way that you look at the buying journey and really thinking about it from a bias perspective. So, you know, buckle up, this will be a great episode. And as I said, watch out for some of the other episodes that are coming up because we've got some incredible guests who are gonna drop some great topics, all focused on helping you be the very best you can be.
1: Welcome to the show, David. Hey, great to be here, Luigi. Thanks for having me.
0: I'm pretty excited. I'm excited to speak to another Canadian. We have a very good friend, Darrell Prale, who is one of our favorite Canadians. So yeah, we're really excited to have you on our show and talk a bit about why sellers need to sell the way people buy. But before we jump into this topic and, and talk about some of the tactics and strategies that sellers can use to enable more buyers to progress through their buying journey... We'd love to hear how you started in the wacky world of selling.
1: Absolutely. Well, the good news is we're both from Commonwealth countries. So, you know, (laughs) I'll say process and project, so it won't be be unfamiliar to a lot of your users. But, you know, similar to so many people who ended up in sales, Mm -hmm. I ended up in sales by accident, right? We don't go to school for this thing. We don't learn how to do it and and your guidance counselor never tells you the a thing you can do so (laughs) i I was no different i actually started my career as a research scientist over 20 years ago and ended up getting into sales at the turn of the dot-com boom so i ended up joining this little startup based in toronto which is where i'm from there was like 20 people at the time i started as a sales engineer solutions consultant so shout out to all the the solutions consultants that are listening out there and absolutely fell in love with sales (laughs) because to me sales became kind of this really complex engineering problem. If you think yeah. about it, like all these variables and, and I fell in love with sales. And then over the course of the next 20 years, I just spent my time across four high growth tech companies, three ended up being acquired. One, which I helped start in 2008 was acquired by Salesforce. And so I came over with the ship and spent five awesome years at Salesforce kind of seeing how the, the sales machines were built operationally and culturally yeah. at scale. And then eventually ended up starting my own practice focused on you know teaching and learning the art and yeah. science of selling. Fantastic. So. You- you know, you've obviously
0: gone through various stages of sales growth with these companies right into the behemoth that is Salesforce, right? So you've probably seen things from various different perspectives, which is fantastic. And tell me, where did the inspiration come for you to write a book, you know, sell the way you buy?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I just, you know, I, I like doing hard things. I believe good, good things come from, <laughs> come from the on the other side of doing hard things. And, yeah. you know, I had written a whole bunch of content, you know, by the time I I'd written my book, I had... you know, know, 60, 70 or so articles and videos. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what, I I, I want to write a book. So I set out to do this. But the concept of sell the way you buy was kind of this mantra that kind of kept repeating in my head. And and people often ask me, they say like, well, what does that even mean, sell the way you buy? And I, I kind of say it means two things. Number one is there's this empathetic component, meaning you want to use tactics that would mm-hmm. actually work on you if you found yourself on the buying side, and mm-hmm. it's funny to say, but as a sales leader, I had reps come to me all the time saying, "Oh, hey David, this customer's gone dark," or "I just, you know, we just got this call, mm-hmm. and we're looking to kind of reinvigorate and engage the customer. I'm thinking of sending this email here or using this tactic. Mm-hmm. What do you think, David?" And I would be like, "I don't know, Luigi. Like, would would you <laughs> would you respond? You know, That's to good. this email?" And they would they would kind of smile and be like, well, maybe not. I'm like, then why are we doing this, (laughs) right? So this element of empathy. But in my mind, the actual bigger piece of sell the way you buy is really about the science, meaning we should be really curious about the pathways and mechanisms by which human beings make purchasing decisions, how we make purchasing decisions, and then sell along those pathways. Because unfortunately, a lot of the way we've been told or taught to sell kind of goes counterintuitive to how people actually buy and the way they make purchasing decisions so that's what sell the way you buy is about it's really about examining those pathways and aligning your sales motion in a very kind of scientifically and kind of empathetically you know aligned way
0: yeah And, and how did you go about really learning that psychology that drives people to take action during the buying journey?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it's just curiosity. Like as a Mm. research scientist, you have to be naturally curious about Mm. explaining something that you see in the natural world or whatever it is and say like, well, why did that happen, right? And so what was interesting was when I was a solutions consultant, and you know, for those of you who like, this is like a functional technical expert on the the sales side, but I didn't own the deals. You know, there was always an account executive that I worked with who kind of ran the deals. And I was, so I was kind of like part of the deal team, but but a little bit on the sidelines and could be a little bit of a spectator. I'm like, oh, like when the AE said it like this, the, the customer got it. When the AE said it like that, the customer got pissed off and looked at them sideways. So I started to get really curious, kind of back to my research science roots of like, well, why did that happen? Yeah. And that kind of led me to the study of like human psychology and decision-making to really kind of, you know, peel back the layers around, okay, like how do we actually make purchasing decisions? And kind of what are the forces that are playing our minds? And it just became a natural curiosity, you know, to me, just like my science and engineering background. It is science, after all. Yeah. And what was interesting, the more I kind of got into it, and the more I started to kind of get into it and teach it to other people, people started to have a lot more conviction and excitement around the sales motion because all of a sudden they were doing things that they understood found finally fundamentally why they worked or why they didn't.
0: Yeah. So this is interesting, right? Because I think it isn't for me. You know, I, I was one of those those people on the receiving end of some sales training earlier in my career, which spoke about sales process, which spoke about tactics and closing techniques and, you know, responding to objections with the perfect objection response. Right. Mm -hmm. And over time I realized, you know what, a lot of those tactics, a lot of those techniques were kind of very superficial because it didn't really address what was driving the buyer To either ask that question or get to that stage or, and so I found the, when I really saw a major change in my career and the results in my career was within, when I flipped the thinking about the sales process and started thinking about the buying process. And this is why your book's title really resonates with me. I'd love to use this time to really explore, you know, the two or three key um, elements of your book that help sellers start to change the way they think about the buying Mm
1: journey. 100%. Well, Mm. you know, if I were to kind of sum it up in one way, and it's funny, you know, we were talking earlier, it's not just buying, but also like in the realm of life and leadership, Mm. emotion. Yeah. People make decisions based on emotion. I was doing this leadership workshop with a whole bunch of leaders from this great tech company the other week. And I said, I want you to picture in your mind the best manager you ever had. Can you picture them? Like, yeah. how, like how long did that take you? And they're like, Oh, it, it took me a split second. Yeah. Okay. Now, you know, you can identify that person at the speed of emotion. I didn't ask you what was so great about them, or you know, think about like what was you know about them that made them so great for you. Then you start kind of cranking, and your and your mind is like, Okay, what about this? What about that? But like at the speed of emotion, you know, we make decisions very very quickly when the emotional state of that decision is very, very clear. (laughs) And so oftentimes in sales, we're kind of taught to talk about features and benefits Mm. and like, here's why this is gonna save you money and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, I don't know, I I think that's all bullshit. Like people don't buy things based on a good ROI. If they did, then every solution would get purchased because everyone must have a, a good half decent ROI. But even when it comes down to like describing what you do or even describing the business case around your solution, it all comes down to one thing. How quickly and emotionally mm. does your customer buy in, right? So if I say like, oh, you know, Luigi, what do you do? And you're like, oh, like I, I'm in sales enablements and I train sales, i yes. like, I don't care. Like I'm, I'm immediately, there's a million people that do what you do and yeah. there's a million people that do what I do, right? Mm. But if I were to say, you know, hey, look, I work with sales teams who realize that people love to buy stuff, but they hate yeah. talking to salespeople, right? All mm. of a sudden you have a much different emotional reaction around that statement, right? And so it's the same thing, you know, when we sell, whether it's describing what we do, handling an objection, doing discovery, to the extent that we can raise the emotional Mm. element of our narrative and of our sales motion, it's going to help our customers more deeply and quickly connect with us. So let's talk about the, I think this is a really important
0: topic, right? Because we know that emotion drives action, yeah? And, you know, I've seen a recent study that 92% of, Buying decisions are made with emotion, and then we justify it with logic, right? So, uh, Mm and I think there's been a lot of studies around this. But you know, if you're a sales salesperson or somebody that's out there meeting with prospects and 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 having those early conversations, like how do you how do you get the emotion in? Because you can't exactly say, "Hey, let's ignore everything about you know the features and the discovery, and let's just I'm going to try to pull the emotion out." Obviously, I'm trying to you know exaggerate here, but Hmm. We'd love to hear, like, what are some simple examples or stories? Or can you share how a seller can actually help bring the emotion into the in, into a sales interaction?
1: Yeah, 100%. So, you know, one of the tactics, the easiest messaging tactic I teach is what I refer to as polarization. Meaning when a customer asks you what you do or you're starting a conversation, to think about who that customer's enemy is like, okay. you can sometimes think of the enemy as the problem, yeah. but it's, you know, it's not like, for example, let, let's say I wanted to sell you, you know, IT security software, I could say, oh, well, it's going to help, you know, improve your, you know, it's going to automate this and it's going to save you some time and it's going to yeah. you know improve your security. And over time, it'll save you A, B and C, yada, yada, yada. But like, maybe you have this deep rooted fear. Like, let's say you had a data breach at your company. Now you're at risk of getting fired. Okay, so your enemy is now like job preservation, you know, like you wanna preserve, you know, you preserve your job. Or yeah. to give you another example, and this is kind of an interesting one because both you and I are in the, same, in the same space. So imagine someone is looking to hire you for some yeah. kind of sales enablement, sales training function. Why would they do that? Well, on one hand, you're thinking to yourself, well, okay, I would hire Luigi because I'm looking to see, we talked about top of funnel, like I am mm. having a challenge with my top of funnel, I don't get enough leads. So if I hire Luigi, then he's going to help my reps fill the top of the funnel and I'm going to have like all these more leads and more revenue and the deals and life, life is going to be good. And you'd think that like, that's the main thing that we usually say. Yeah. But like, who's the enemy in this case you know it's not the you know it's not the lack of leads it could be for example you know fear of failure or it could be you know having a competitor leapfrog you or i'll give you like a real world example in the world of you know virtual sales training these days with sales teams now distributed all over the world everyone's living their best zoom life as they have for the last (laughs) few years and as you know like a lot of people have moved companies retention is an issue yeah. And and a lot of companies haven't done a lot of investment in, in programs and live events because they couldn't, okay? Yeah. Now you're talking to Luigi about doing some sales training and doing some sales enablement. What's the problem you're trying to solve? You're trying to solve the problem of engaging a team that has mm-hmm. basically been sitting on the shelf for two, three years without any kind of, you know, live engagement or investment. Yeah. So, you know one of the things I might say if I'm Luigi and I'm trying to sell my services, I mean, look, oh my gosh, David, I've been talking to a ton of sales leaders these days who say, look, you know, they love, you know, having their team, you know, be sharp and engaged and all that kind of stuff. But they hate the fact that it's so hard to do now with the pandemic and everyone's working remotely and they're struggling to figure out how we engage this workforce who wants to learn so much. And if they don't, they're going to be Leaving, you know, to to go somewhere else because the grass is greener. Again, I'm just, yeah. you know, I, I'm just embellishing here. But, again, like thinking about that narrative sounds very different than, oh, we do top of the funnel sales enablement. We're focusing on our customer's enemy, and we're and we're leading with the problem. I'm not saying we shouldn't talk about what we do and the nuts yeah. and bolts and the features, but we have to earn the right to do that. If we lead too quickly with the features and functions, then we just end up turning our customers off.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting, it it is interesting, right? Because I absolutely totally agree with you that, you know, we should lead with the outcomes that we help people achieve. And then the byproduct of that is what we do to help them get there. So I, I really like the way that you've kind of, You've kind of described described that kind of you know example and tactic. Why do you think? Because this is for me, this is a really interesting conversation, right? Because I think for many sellers, they know what they need to do, but actually doing it is harder than than it sounds, right? Like a lot of the concepts that we hear about. If you jump on LinkedIn, I'm, like yourself, I'm following so many incredible content creators and thought thought leaders around this subject. We know that, you know, cold calls away should be structured. Having an agenda, doing X, doing B, and like yourself, I have the privilege of watching and listening to so many calls, whether it's on gong or chorus, and doing call calibration sessions. And I find that more, most of the calls that I evaluate, a lot of the fundamentals that you discussed aren't being followed, right? And then mm-hmm. when you talk to the seller, you're like, hey, share with me what happened to the agenda. They're like, yeah, I know got to do an agenda or you know what let's have a look at the types of questions you're asking yeah i'm asking a lot of closed questions (laughs) right they know that is ask open questions for example why is it that we know what needs to be done but yet many fall
1: back doing things a certain way well now you're asking a life question and (laughs) it's funny the book i think about is a book called The Knowing Doing Gap, written by two Stanford professors, Bob Sutton and Jeff Pfeffer. And what they talk about is specifically is, is in relation to yeah. leadership practice. And they say, but I could apply it to anything. They, they basically say, how is it that there's all this all these books and knowledge and content around mm. how to be a great leader and then people still suck at leadership? Why is it that we now know more about nutrition and diet and disease and and more people are obese than yeah. before, right? Yeah. So, there's this knowing doing gap, and the actual thing that I, you know, when we were kind of talking about this earlier, the way people learn, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, is different. You can't just shove a whole bunch of tactics at someone and say like, do this. You can't. And it's it's actually interesting because I've I've talked about this a lot recently. If you let's say have a McDonald's franchise, mm. it's it's very easy. Like I could hire anyone off the street. And teach them how to make a hamburger. Like, you do this, you do that, you do that. Like, if you just follow these instructions, boom, the hamburger will come out, and it doesn't really matter who makes it, it's gonna be identical. (laughs) But in the world of human interaction, right, Mm. where there are so many degrees of freedom, it's, you know, not to necessarily digress to a a scientific example, but I I was a, a trained meteorologist back in the day. And people always like to rag on the weather man or the weather lady. Like why why do you get the weather wrong all the time? Like we live in the future here with computers and stuff. Like why is the weather wrong? You're telling me it's gonna rain and it doesn't rain. And the reason is because the formula that, the formulas that govern the movement of kind of synoptic forces in the environment, each have so many different variables as you can imagine. And Mm. each of those little variables has a little margin of error. And so okay. what happens is you put all of these equations into a computer model and it runs 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 and if it runs in the short term, for example, tell me what the weather's going to be like this afternoon, pretty accurate, right? Yeah. Cuz there's not that many room for there's not much room for yeah. those errors to propagate. But if you run the weather forecast out for 4 or 5 days, what happens is all those errors propagate, and then you end up with so many different permutations of what could happen. You start, you know, you start saying, "Well, in probabilities, there's a thirty percent chance of this or this," mm. because we don't know. And sales, this is, I got to make a YouTube video on this sometime. You know, sales <sighs> is like this, exactly like this. When you start it with a human being, a, an interaction right. with someone, maybe. I'm negotiating a contract with you and there's a a series of steps that I go through, but maybe you got in a massive raging fight with your partner this morning and now you're going toe to toe with me in the negotiation. Now all of a sudden there's all of these variables that I can't control that are nonetheless playing a part of my negotiation. right? So when you say it's too expensive, you could just be saying it's too expensive because you're pissed off at your partner and you just want to get off the phone with me so you can call them back. And meanwhile, there's so many different variables in that discussion. Like it's very difficult for me to pick them apart. And that's yeah. why we pay salespeople who do this profession well, a lot of money yeah. and not high school students minimum wage. So back to the why do people do this? The knowing doing gap is real. We, we teach it in sometimes an overly complex way. And there's so many different variables. You have to be good at yeah. improvising when you're having a human conversation. Otherwise you're gonna get stuck in a narrative that's going to produce the opposite of the outcome you were hoping for.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know that we've, got, we've gone down a little bit of a path here, right? But I think it's actually a really important topic because I think, again, for many sellers, right, I think this is where, uh, you know, I love the concept of McDonald's because I think McDonald's got it incredibly well, right? Create a very simple process, or I don't simple, but, but create a process that anybody can, it can be a repeatable process. And I think the magic, you know, formula for any business selling something is to try to make that formula very simple for anyone to follow and help people progress to that point of decision, right? When we actually think about it, when you look at it simplistically and you write up a funnel on a board or the buying process on a board, you're like, hey, this is actually really simple. Like there are things that people need to need to learn, they need to become aware, they need to learn and have a level of education so they can consider what we're, what we're offering. And then we need to get them to a point where they do an equation and say, you know what, this business case for change, it's in my favour. The pain of change is less than the pain of same. I'll take action, right? And you go, oh, that's really simple. But then, when you think about all the buying, or the people in the buying committee, the the internal challenge that you spoke about, then the change management component, which is becoming very difficult, because again, if if sellers can't follow a process and we go back into we know what to do, but we don't do what we need to do then the is going, I've got to implement this new tech or I've got to implement this new initiative and geez, how am I going to get all these people on board? Then all of a sudden it makes the buying journey a little bit more complex, right? And I think this is what we're seeing now more, more today than what it was I reckon three years ago You know, as a result of the pandemic. That buying journey is becoming very complex and I often refer to a stat that I heard my good friend Jen Allen talk about, which is about 39% of B2B engagements end up in the no decision category right because either they can't get consensus the problem aligned is not there or they just say you know what the fire that's currently burning we're happy with it because if we change the actual fire is going to be bigger than what it is today mm-hmm. the pain of change is, is far greater so i'd love to go explore this right and, and i know we haven't got too much time to, to dive into this but think about the things that you've just mentioned you know picking up on that intuitive component, how do we as sellers become a little bit more emotionally connected to the buying process to kind of find and understand where our buyers are emotionally so that instead of pushing the opportunity forward, we can kind of hold back and say, you know what, right now, it's probably not the best time for me to to engage in this. I need to step back.
1: Well, look, there's a whole field of conversation that I focus on around mindset. Yeah. Especially as it relates to doing discovery with customers, because Mm. oftentimes sales reps have confirmation bias where we think everyone's a good fit for our solution. And then we kind of go in and look for evidence that they are versus evidence that they're not. Yeah. And customers can feel that too. Like they can feel like if you are selling at the end of your month or quarter and you're kind of, you know, jonesing for some client that you can give some kind of, you know, period and discount, like, They can feel feel that. Don't think they can't, right? And the way, it's funny, the way I kind of describe it, it's like when my kids come to me, I have three three kids and two are teenagers, one's a bit younger. When they come to me and they're about to hit me up for something that they think I'm gonna say no to, (laughs) you know, like I can tell immediately, just by the way they approach me. So part of the mindset game is to kind of understand Mm -hmm. the mindset that you're approaching your customer with because they'll be able to feel if you're desperate, if it's the end of the month, end of the quarter. So just kind of, you know, Kind of being cool in that respect. Also, kind of taking a little step back, and you know, just to marry maybe a couple of the concepts we spoke about today, and, and kind of weave it into this. We talked about like, well, why is sales so hard, and, and why can't we just follow a process? Well, for example, a lot of sales organizations have a process that says, okay, see, I said process. We're you know we're we're speaking the Queen's <laughs> English here. So if I said you know, okay, you need to like you're a medic or a band or whatever it is, yeah. you need to find out who the economic buyer is and like who's gonna, you know the timing and all that kind of stuff. I find that like imagine I go to you Luigi mm. and I'm like hey Luigi like who's your boss right like yeah. well, Luigi what's your budget for the yeah. I gotta I gotta because I gotta you know tick the box on my my checklist here in my process like what's your budget this yeah. idea that just because I want to know things doesn't mean anyone's going to tell me any of the stuff that I want to know mm. right so you have to be mindful yeah. of not only what you want and the process but how are you going to extract this information, because look, sometimes we have clients that are very verbose and are just happy to yeah. chat and tell us everything, right? And sometimes they're very kind of tight-lipped because they're worried about what we're gonna do with the information. So mm. you need to focus as much on your process and what you need to know yeah. as you do on being a human being so people feel comfortable talking to you and telling you, <laughs> and telling you yeah. things, right? It's like, if I ask you out on a date and you don't wanna go with me, you might be tempted to say, oh, I'm, I'm busy. Saturday night, you know, when you ask me that. It's your Meanwhile, the, the, the answer is you don't want to go out with me and you're trying to be a nice guy about it and you don't want to hurt my mm-hmm. feelings. Meanwhile, I'm sitting here thinking I still have a chance when the reality is I don't. I'm busy on Saturday night is the sales equivalent of it's too expensive. Yeah. It's like, well, what the hell does that mean? Like we have to really dive in and figure it out. And yeah. part of it is, to your question, a little bit of, of, of empathy a little bit of emotional intelligence and a little bit of pattern recognition, yeah. so that you know, as a seller, when we hear it's too expensive, or hey, the, you know, Luigi, this was great. Can you just send me some information and I'll call you back, like in the mm-hmm. next few weeks when things settle down? You have to have a little bit of that pattern recognition to know that if I just do what they say, I'm not mm-hmm. going to hear from this customer ever again. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and then kind of approach it in an honest way like that.
0: Yeah, it's a, I love the way that you 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 kind of describing this right because again, I think. I think in some cases, we we kind of can go into autopilot, right, where we hear something and we automatically go, okay, bang, versus really going, hang on, let me just think about this for a moment. Is this the actual reason why they can't meet, or is there something underlining that's 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 driving this, right? And and I loved, you know, one of the words that you mentioned earlier, which was that element of curiosity right and for me I think one of the things that sets a great seller apart is the fact that they are curious right is the fact that they do approach a conversation with a level of emotional intelligence and they're asking themselves questions about the certain situation before asking the prospect and not always responding right so I actually have taken a number of key things away from this David so I think this has been a great conversation but And, mate, we could talk about this for hours because this is a concept that there's probably four podcasts we could create as a result of this (laughs) this four different topics. So this has been awesome. But, mate, where is the best place for our listeners to find you? And, And we will put a link to your book in the show notes. But where is the best place that our listeners can find and engage with you? 100%.
1: Well, you know, the easiest place, I've been accused of giving away too much stuff for free. So if you go to my website, which is Cerebral Selling, all one word, CerebralSelling.com, you'll find, you know, my blog, you'll find links to my free Facebook group where I do trainings every week. My YouTube channel is also called Cerebral Selling. So you can find it all there. You can connect with me on LinkedIn or you can check out my book, which is called Sell the Way You Buy. And you can find that on Amazon or whatever it is you, you buy books.
0: Awesome. Well we'll make sure we put that in the show notes. And if you're like me, most of if you're on the LinkedIn platform, David is sharing some great content. There's you know, YouTube links. You can go and watch some videos. So for me, I love it because it really talks about the psychology behind why people buy. So David, I just want to say thanks for the contribution you make to the sales community. The content you create is helping sellers be the very best they can be. So I want to say thanks and thank you for coming on to the Sales IQ
1: podcast. Oh, my pleasure, Luigi. Thanks for having me. It's great to be connecting with uh, all your listeners out there. All right.